Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tungara Whenua of Te Whanganuiatara, where I'm recording today. What a week it's been! It has been. Just everything is so hard and long at the moment. Every week yeah. feels like a lifetime. That's good in a way, because I feel like I'm getting a lot more done, but also, like, Saturdays feel really far apart at the moment, and I really like our Saturdays. Yeah, me too. As we move towards the end of the year, it just suddenly everything becomes a bit of a slog. Mm. We were talking about this at work, how we feel already feel like it's December, because, you know, sometimes you get to December and you're just tired, and you're just yeah. hanging out for Christmas, and we all yeah. feel like that already, and we still have weeks to go. And you don't even have the sensible American holidays, which is like Halloween, big one for the kids, I Thanksgiving, know. big one for family, then Christmas. Like you kind of get one at the end of every month for three months in a row. I mean, I, I don't celebrate Thanksgiving anymore because I'm not there. So there's no point. But I do kind of miss that you get this month, this month and then Christmas. Like mm. you have enough time, you know, because the holidays tell you that you have to go and get presents around Thanksgiving to make sure that you have it all done in time. And sometimes it really does just sneak up on me. It's like mm. the end of the school term. And I'm like, I haven't gotten anything for anyone quick. <laughs> I love how it also breaks up the Christmas mm. uh, shopping mm-hmm. nonsense. Cause like already in yes. September, Christmas decorations were in shops here. If we had Halloween, then at least that would slow it down a little bit. If we had Thanksgiving, you know, we'd put a pin in that, but no, we just catapult straight mm. into Christmas. And I love mm. Christmas, but come on, people. We need a like end of November holiday. Maybe they should just move the Australia Day type thing to the end of November. That would be good. Um, did you have a moment of wonder this week? I did. I had two. The first one was I ran a lot this week. So I ran Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, and I have Pilates on Mondays and Fridays at the moment. So I was like, I'll just do all five days. Like, it'll be fine. And it was. Wow. But on Thursday, my car got a flat tire and I could see that there was a screw in it. And I was like, that's one of mine. I'm so annoyed. I ran over a screw in my own driveway. So I took it to the tire mm-hmm. store to get it patched. And I was wearing my running clothes already. So I just stopped by at home to get my headphones and then I went to the tire store and I'm like yeah I can probably run because I said it would take about an hour and like usually my run's about 45 minutes and then I started mm-hmm. running and because I started in a different part of town I was able to like do a lot of flat streets so by the time I got to my usual stopping point of like five five and a half k's I was like actually I could keep going so I did and I haven't managed to crack seven k's but I passed seven k's and then I passed seven and a half and then I was like I can make it to eight and then I noticed how close to an hour I was I'm like I can make it to eight and an hour so I made it to 8Ks and an hour of running was my first time ever and I just felt like I could fight God. It was amazing. That's so amazing. You are superwoman. Good work. It was really good. And then this morning my husband found a blue tongue lizard and we got to feed it blueberries and watched as it ate all the blueberries. So that was something my family and I got to do together and it was really cute. So cute. And when you showed me that photo, it reminded me of the time my dog tried to fight a blue tongue lizard and got beaten up and I had to call wires to come and get this lizard who was very aggressive in the backyard. They could be super scary. They like pop up and hiss and stuff. They're not messing around. It was not happy. We had one drop its tail and yell at us for like 15 minutes. We were like, stop, stop. We're not trying to hurt you. We want you to go away. Unsubscribe. So what about you? Did you have a moment of wonder? I did. And it's actually really silly. But this morning I walked to the library to return some books and pick up some new reserves and there was a man outside my library is across the road from the local supermarket and where there's also a pharmacy and there was a man out there dressed as (laughs) COVID-19 and like a lot of bubble wrap with red solo cups stuck to the outside of it 
because today is Super Saturday, which is basically the whole country is having a na- nationwide vaccine drive and it's being televised. And there's a live vaxathon with like live crosses from Lord and Taika oh. Waititi and people will be like, get vaccinated. And they were trying to get 100,000 people vaccinated before the end of today. And they passed that milestone, I think, at around oh 2 p.m. So now it's 150 <gasps> and I think we're up to 115. So we've still got a few to go until 8 p.m. That's awesome. So basically, 2-3% of the country have had vaccines today. Um, and it's all part of about getting us up to 90% vaccination rate before Christmas. So, you know, it's just super naff and super hokey. And I honestly just love it. It's so delightful. It's so wholesome. I'm so excited for this because I think we're on track for 90 by Christmas too, which I think means that New South Wales and New Zealand will be able to like travel between, which means mm. I could come and see you theoretically. Yeah. We can go on our little retreat. I'm ready for it. I'm like, as soon as I can book tickets, I'm going to. I'm so ready. I mean, I love my family and I am so glad that I am safe. I'm so glad that we're in a community where we were able to get vaccinated and, you know, all of that. But also, I got to get out of here, man. I got to get out of here. (laughs) It's been a long time. way overdue. I think the last trip I did was when I came to see you for your birthday and that was your 30th. Oh gosh, it's like four years ago. It was a while. How old am I? It was four, four years. years. Yeah, four years ago, November. Oh, dear. Still ready. But anyway. yes, Vaxathon. I honestly struggle to think if it would work in any other country. I feel like it's such a uniquely mm-hmm. New Zealand thing. It's because you guys are little and also still mighty. When you're a small country, you can kind of do stuff like that. I honestly think they should cap countries. It'd be like six million people max, and then you start a new country. <laughs> it's too hard to navigate these countries that are like 300 million don't, people. Don't it's give too Western big. Australia any ideas, Jen. <laughs> They're already building a wall, I'm sure of it. (laughs) They've got a giant laser and they're just like busy cutting away at the landmass. They'll just put mines all the way across so you can't actually go. Just just a big hole. Yeah, there we go. Big hole. And then flood it later (laughs) if they need to. This is our canal. It's called the Western Australian Canal and you cannot cross it. Honestly. Okay, back on track. This week we're reading chapters 10 to 14 through the theme of mystery. Did you have a little story for us about mystery? I do. It's not a very good one though, so I apologize in advance. I have a really complicated relationship with mystery because... I Mm -hmm. am the kind of person who wants to know everything. My whole life, I've been like, tell me more. I want to know all the details. And I think sometimes people have in the past like misconstrued this as me being gossipy, but it's really just because the more context I have, the more I can Mm -hmm. figure out what's actually going on. So like, I don't like ambiguity. I want clarity. Even if I don't need to know something, I really want to know because then I can like, you know, process it, put it into context, place it in its spot in my mind, move forward. And like, this is manifested in weird ways. So like once when I was probably five or six, one of my mom's friends was talking about how she didn't think Grease 2 was a good movie. Like it was just a disappointment. And so I was like, why was it a disappointment? She's like, oh, it just wasn't as good. And then she started talking about something else. And that has bothered me since then, because like, why wasn't it as good? Like, was it the songs? Did it just not resonate with you? Was it not the right time or place? Was it badly made? Is it because Olivia Newton-John wasn't in it? Like I never figured it out and I'm still bothered by it. And it's been like 30 years. Like I need to chill. This is not an important mystery, (laughs) but it still haunts me. So obviously, like I love the concept of mystery, especially in fiction, because it gives lots of ambiguity for you and I to do what we do, tease out what Mm. we think will fit into our own instinctive narrative. But in real life, I'm the kind of person who's like, let's be clear and let's communicate. And like one of my favorite words is exactly. And I say it all the time and I'm sure you know this, but I love it because it's also like emphatically I'll say it, but also sometimes I'm like, no, that is precisely how I feel. So I love the precision of it. Mm. But when I was thinking about this, I kept skirting around it and I couldn't really get into the idea of mystery. And I think that's because part of being a person is surrendering to the mystery of existence. Who gave 
this bag of chemicals thoughts and feelings because what the heck man i can't actually spend the time getting lost in these like metaphysical concepts because i just have to get on with like living this bag of chemicals has to drive kids to school and write until 1 a.m and hang out the washing on sunny days so i don't have the time to dwell on like sentience and i don't really care about why we are what we are i can decide that for myself and for anybody who wants to know why humans exist we're here to be good to each other that's the whole point we're just here to be good to each other so i guess the way i deal with it is that i try to know everything i can i try to learn what i don't know and i try to make sense of it by putting things into context and i also want to say as like a footnote i don't really conflate mystery with ignorance because i think mystery is more about the actual unknowable ignorance is just when you don't know something but it can be remedied if i can never understand something it's not an indication that i have to live in ignorance it's like a call to seek deeper understanding and some things are going to elude me but that's not necessarily because i'm not smart or not capable it just means that some things are actually unknowable and also i think having that drive to look for the deeper understanding it gives me a bit of an edge because I really want everything in context. And I've learned that way that sometimes I can only see the shape of something by looking at what surrounds it. And that's really useful too. So I don't know if this really is a point. I struggle with the idea of mystery a lot, but I also really love it in fiction. So I guess I'll just have to, I don't know, figure out the context for it in my own life before I can really move on with it. I really like that idea that, you know, so much of being alive is a mystery and you just have to just yeah. roll with it. You can't stop and think because there's so many things that I just will never understand because mm-hmm. it's not my expertise or it's not something that I'm interested in. Like, you know, there's so many different things, how things work, whereas it's biology or chemistry or physics or whatever. There's just stuff that I will never exactly. know. We're on a video call right now, right? Like, I don't know how that works. I don't really understand how it gets translated through the internet. How does the internet work? I don't know. I don't really want to know. I don't really care it's fine as long as it works it's magic yeah it's our own little bit of magic it is it is a mystery and some things like other people have figured out the answer to and we can take it for granted i feel like mystery is something more profound more divine Mm. so that's kind of where i landed on it was that it's it's not like oh hmm who took my cup of tea away it's like oh that's just a question i don't know the answer to but like who was the first person to ever put dried up camellia sinesis leaves into hot water and drink it and go hmm this does something for me that's a mystery why did they do that who thought of that i have this conversation so many times especially at work when i'm like okay but mushrooms though who decided which ones we can eat and which ones we can't because there's so many of them that just straight up kill you but someone obviously went and ate them because we know which ones we can eat and which ones make you see god and which ones do this and which ones do that it is wild to me that someone did that they're like don't eat that one jerry died when he ate that one (laughs) what is happening Look, I have the same thing, but I have it with um the fact that fungus wasn't always a thing. Like all the coal we have is from before fungus figured out how to eat and decay plants and trees. What the heck, man? <laughs> at some point the fungus has got to come for us it makes me very uncomfortable it's okay i read an article that said the robot apocalypse is 2024 so you know whatever we're on borrowed okay, time it's gonna be heat death of the planet the robot apocalypse or the fungus is coming for us I legit sent it to my co-workers and I'm like, where do I slide this in on my doomsday scale? Is this before climate catastrophe or after pandemic-related societal collapse? Like, where does it go on the continuum? Oh, man. One of my colleagues, who's not in my team, he just happens to work on my floor when he sees me in the lobby. He's like, how are you, nihilist friend? Got any nihilist news for me today? I like this person because they understand your strengths and they roll with them. Yeah, it's nice being a nihilist because it's quite fun. I don't get depressed by it anymore because there's no point. We just suffer. We do. Living is suffering. And that's the cheerful part of the podcast, done and dusted. (laughs) Great. I'll do some chapter summary so that (laughs) we can get back on a cheerful topic. 
although arguably not that cheerful. This was a hard set of chapters. Okay, well, I'll summarise what happened. So, we learn that Welk was once a young man of means who was also searching for ley lines. Blue overhears some curious conversations at home and consults Persephone about the journal. At Aglianby, Gansey and Ronan cover for Adam's unexplained absence. Gansey looks up for him after school and finds him at home, bruised, and they argue about leaving. Back at 300 Foxway, a stranger requests a card reading and the women of the house do not like him at all. <laughs> Fair enough, because he acts like a jerk. And he's Welk, so he, we already know he's a murderer. He's a horrible person. He, everything about that is so horrible. He's just, it's amazing to me, Welk's behaviour. He's so steeped in his privilege yeah. that he had and he's got such a chip on his shoulder about not having his wealth anymore, but he still acts so privileged mm. and it's really annoying. Yeah, he hasn't removed himself from the life that he had sufficiently to be able to build a new one and I think that's the problem like if he had gone somewhere else and was teaching somewhere else or even just went off and did a finance degree like my goodness he could be on the up and up again if that was what really mattered to him he could have had the Schitt's Creek transformation yeah he could have not been a complete sucky weirdo but no he decided to stay and like roll around in the filth of his former glory and i saw that as a mystery right it's the mystery of welk so he's haunted by he's woken by Mm. these voices he's stuck around aglinby you know he has that throwaway comment about how when he used to be a student sleep came easy for him it's like he assumes that everyone who goes to aglinby sleeps easily but we know that gansey and ronan don't (laughs) ronan doesn't noah doesn't (laughs) not that he's a student anymore he goes to Foxway and he just acts like a jerk and behaves so mysteriously about like not wanting to say what his mm. name is, not wanting to ask a question, like all these things. So he's just a mystery. Yeah, he's kind of trading on the idea of like being mysterious, but I think it's it, and like you get the fact that it's not about or you get the impression that he's trying to come off like it's privacy, but he gives it away. He actually believes. He's not a skeptic. As Blue says, he is skeptical mm. of them. And that's that's where the difference is. Like it's he believes that there is a mystery, but he just wants it unveiled for him. He wants to know and he wants the answers. And some of that stuff isn't like the nature of it is not that you get an answer, but he mm. can't accept that. And I guess that's the big mystery of this novel, right? Is the ley lines themselves, mm. how they work what they do, what they promise, all these things. Like, that is a massive mystery. And you've got Welk looking for it, you've got Gansey looking for it, and now you've got Blue intrigued by them as well because of the journal. And Blue's mother, I would say, is very protective of them without even understanding them necessarily because there's that, Mm. like, Neve is there and kind of looking into Henrietta and Mora is extremely protective of it. I think in part because she's connected to it in a lot of ways. Like, she's connected to the area and she's connected to the ley line because she's an energy worker. It's energy. Things just work better for her there. But Neve is saying that, you know, it shouts at her. Like, it's loud. Everything at Henrietta Mm. is loud. So even though there is a mystery there, it's saying, like, yoo-hoo, come and find me like it's announcing itself it well i think the ley line wants to be found it wants to be known which is interesting because we also hear you know about the ley line dropping in and mm. out you know sometimes it's strong sometimes it's not so it goes up and down so i wonder if that shouting that neve hears and that the psychics here also drops in and out like that and that's why they need blue sometimes to like amplify yeah. it right because sometimes they can't tap into it yeah most of the time they've got the cup and the string but she's an actual telephone yeah and i saw that as connection as well for mora mm. and mm-hmm. henrietta right like she's so connected to the place and she's protective of it absolutely and she doesn't really trust neve no but she's family because she's <laughs> psychic so she stays i think that that relationship is one that's a mystery to me in the story like i have family that i'm like oh no you don't get to be around me or my kids so i wonder what the depth of their family as like a community of psychic women actually is do you know what i mean like that's a mystery to me in the text and it's not just you know family of blood either because you've got Kala and persephone who are really close to Mora. Mm. like that's a really tight unit a tight connection and then you've got neve who's a 
half-sister. So I wonder if it's less about the familial connection and more about the sense yeah. of, you know, we do the same work and therefore we're all in it together. But, you know, with that comes danger because people work with things in different ways. And as we'll see with Neve, you know, she dabbles in things that the others are uncomfortable with. Yeah, and she's very ambitious, but personally ambitious. Mora often talks about how things, important things come in threes. And that's something we see over and over again throughout the text is important things do come in threes. Blue meets three boys and a ghost. Hmm. That's the first and the most obvious three is that she meets these three boys and their ghost. And you know, like her life changes, it turns, it's a pivot point for her. But I also think that the three women, because they are interconnected and they live at 300 Fox Way, the three of them together are able to provide some protection with balance that Neve isn't on her own. She kind of gets sucked in, I think. And I'd like to watch for that because I think she's confident but also vulnerable in that confidence. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we see that three thing come through really strongly in this section. There's a lot of repetition, a lot of calling out of the three. Yeah. Like, definitely. My favorite one was um, on page 124. Mora's expression was dark, dark dark yeah i love that as well so good um what's our tree count for this section two trees we had two trees we've got blue talking about her dad looking over the mm -hmm. fence and watching her under the beech tree and then she also makes a reference that the um journal feels like the smooth bark of the beech tree behind the house and it gives her the same feeling right yes. as when she touched the beech tree she felt at once comforted and anxious reassured and driven to action which reminded me again of last week we spoke about how the journal is also a point of connection mm. and also obviously a key to the mystery, right? Like it's a big cornerstone of this mystery that we're getting involved in. I love this journal and I've never even seen it. It's amazing. It sounds amazing. It makes me want to get a sketchbook that I just paint in every day. I just need to do that. That'd be so lovely. It just sounds like, yeah, it sounds really cool, right? But I love that Blue describes it as, oh, where is it? I wrote it down. Is it the fragments? Yeah, where she talks about the fragments that it's less Page about solving the mystery and more about the hunt. Yeah, the fragments were intriguing but unnecessary. Whoever put that journal together must love the hunt itself, the process of research. I just love that. I love that it's a it's the act of making the journal as much as the hunt, right? Is Gancy a manic pixie dream boy? Yeah, I think he might be. This is one of the most attractive things to me is that he curates an experience of his search. Like, I love that. And he doesn't do it in a way that's like, come in and look at my vinyl collection. Like, no he doesn't do that he just has this thing that he makes for himself but it is beautiful and it inspires him as well as becomes like the repository for all of the things related to Glendower and ley lines I love it because it's like the opposite of hustle culture mm -hmm. right he's just doing it because he loves it because he wants it and there's that whole thing about well if we didn't have capitalism then people wouldn't create but people make these things out of love yes. for things like he is never going to sell this journal it's for no other purpose than for this thing that he's really passionate yeah. about like it's amazing I do want to know why he blames Noah for losing it though Noah told him to go outside and didn't grab it from the table i just think that's crazy like on page 110 he says noah had let him leave his journal behind like Kay? it's not <laughs> noah's fault what do you mean he let you leave it behind he's not your pa the reason i think was because noah couldn't solve the ronan declan thing so they needed to switch roles where he went and picked up stuff from the table i think because he went back in to leave a tip but didn't actually get the journal uh, so Ghostwatch, there was another one where yeah. Gansey calls to see if Adam maybe talked about needing his bike and that's why he wasn't at the pickup spot. And Noah said, I won't be here. I'm almost gone anyway. So mm -hmm. another Ghostwatch spot. Did Klaxon, as I wrote in the margins. Yeah. <laughs> I love the little drawing you did of Persephone in my margin notes. Adorable. <laughs> All hair. All hair. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, I want to talk about Persephone a little bit because she is a mystery. Like yeah. she is a point of mystery in this, you know, as is her tarot deck, which is described as very different to the others, right? So Blue says on page 106, 107, it was always difficult to know details when it came mm-hmm. to Persephone. And then Persephone barely told anyone anything, even when it wasn't a secret. So there's something very otherworldly contained about yeah. her. But the thing that really stood out to me was... Um, on page 105, Blue remarks that when pressed, people often remembered Persephone's hair. And then she goes into all these physical characteristics that define Persephone. But the choosing of the words when pressed stood out to me because it suggests that people don't remember Persephone yeah. or they can't conceptualize her. Like she slides out of their minds or something. So what is that about? I think either she's a hermit or she's really good at masking. Because I find that this is something you often, like a lot of people who are actors will talk about how you have a stage presence mm-hmm. and that's how you get noticed and you actually learn it as a technique where you like put your shoulders back and you make eye contact and you like become and there's that great quote about Marilyn Monroe walking with someone in New York and she she said she used to love to walk walking around New York because nobody knew who she was there and then she said do you want me to become her and the person she was with was like sure and she just turned into Marilyn Monroe like just stood there and something changed and all the people were like oh it's Marilyn Monroe so I think there's something to that where like if you don't want to be noticed you can sort of learn over time how to unobtrusify your presence learn how to blend in learn how not to stand out or she's just magic and she just doesn't let people see her unless she wants them to see her I also thought it was interesting that Blue describes her eyes as being like a flat black, right? So her eyes are basically scrying mirrors, mm. which I just love mm. for future reference. Vanta black. <laughs> if you are in Kapoor, you cannot get a tarot reading from... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love the art feud. The art discourse. <laughs> Um, I like on page 125 when Persephone's gaze wandered up to Mora's face, bewildered, and Kala looked confused but delighted at the appearance of conflict. <laughs> That's when Mora basically cracks it with their unknown visitor, who is Welk, and says, get out. Thank you. Goodbye. Like, mm. she just, she doesn't get money from him. She just says, leave. And Persephone just mm. doesn't get it. Even though she knows he's an unpleasant young man, she, which she observes later, but she's like, why are, what? what's happening what and I mm. wondered if that was because she's so into the energy work that more of herself is in the mystery rather than in the reality yeah I think that's a fair assessment like she's got one foot in the the occult world mm. all the time you know she's not really present in the physical like world if you will because always she on the is phone too busy. the spiritual realm or something yeah yeah and so for her she's just doing this reading and therefore of course they'll do the reading because that's what mm. they do and she doesn't really pick up on the fact that he's being problematic but also more is coming at it from a personal yeah. point of view, right? She's having a reaction because it involves Blue yep. and therefore she is upset. Yep. So it's not an unbiased reading. Yeah, and I loved that because Blue's instinct was, well, he didn't look like he was going to murder them or steal their portable electronics, so whatever. And I was like, but yet he will try to murder you later. He's going to try and murder you later. I love this whole idea of tarot as a mean of connection, mm. right? So it brings people together. It, it brought Morakala and Persephone together. It brings Gansey and Adam together in this section as well yeah. because they're going to get together to go to the tarot reading but it's also a way of connecting the dots between things yeah. so I love that section and when Blue is looking at the journal on page 103 she reads the bit that Gansey had cut out about Glendower and she it said by his right hand is his cup filled with possibility on his breast nestles his sword waiting to to wake which links to me to the suit of cups and swords mm. and tarot which Welk draws like he draws the three of swords first and then of course we have the page of cups three times so this idea that cups is kind of like relationships and emotion and intuition and swords is all about about power and action and change and this is when everything is like starting to come together yeah. right and we can see that connection through the through the tarot and then blue says suddenly she felt as if there was no end to the fate she was 
was tied to, but it's actually all the same fate. Yeah, I like that it's a, it centers around Gansey, but it doesn't. I think it's about like this entire. I mean, the, the kind of my take is that it's all about the ley lines, right? Like they are trying desperately to be woken up, and the voices that we have that speak or interpret from the ley lines are the whispering trees, which are what Welk hears, but he doesn't understand mm-hmm. them because he doesn't speak magic. And then we have Noah, who's kind of a conduit in a way. But I mean, we do discover at the end that like this is his gift to Gansey to give him a quest. Like this is the big spoiler, I guess, was that his gift to Gansey was to find Glendower, to tell him to find Glendower, which would enable them all to meet and would give him meaning, which is more than most people get in their lives, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's an amazing idea that you could actually get this information about yourself to have been given a quest and know why you were given it. And I don't think he ever actually knows why, but we do. But I do think it's all in service to the ley lines, which want to be woken up. They want to be doing something. Like, I think of it as, like, the spokes in a wheel, right? So they're not going to put all the eggs in one basket. You need all of these people to come together to make this thing work. So they've got all of these different things coming in to make the whole wheel move yeah we need all the pieces into place that's why everything starts happening when blue joins right so she's the final piece that falls into play i love the reality of their house i think that's something that it's a nice juxtaposition between the mysterious forces that these women deal in and the fact that they've got a really crummy chandelier that they wait until all the light bulbs are burned out in before they fix it because it's really hard to (laughs) like just the little things about mora not wanting people to walk into her house because there's laundry on the kitchen floor in a basket and there's one of her bras right there like that's so real and so true and Boo's like I'm not gonna apologize for it I didn't expect people to be walking around my kitchen there weren't supposed to be men in here like I love that there's no mystery in their house but also these women deal in mystery and energy work it's a nice little Mm. contradiction I guess yeah I love that because you still have to live your life anyway so I love that yeah exactly and I think this is one of Steve Otter's real strengths is that she makes magic feel like a normal everyday thing but still makes it feel magical right Mm. like I don't know of very many books that don't immediately catapult you into a whole other world whereas this just treats it as part of it and accepts that there are people who don't have the same faith or values but there are also consequences for the magic that exists within the world I want to talk about the mystery to Gansey at least of why Ronan shows up for Latin because it cracks me up. So Gansey has this whole spiel on page 111 where he says, This was inexplicably the only class Ronan never missed. Ronan was head of class in Latin. He studied joylessly but relentlessly as if his life depended on it. Directly behind him was Adam, Aglinby's star pupil, otherwise at the top of every class that he took. Like Ronan, under Adam studied relentlessly because his future life did depend on it. And I love this because actually Ronan's life also depends on it, but like Gansey doesn't know Mm. that. And so that comparison between Adam and Ronan. And I love that it also shows you that Ronan is capable of being good at things and being smart. He just chooses not to be. Yeah, he has the thing that I have where if I don't want to do it, it's the most difficult thing in the world to do but like I'm not unable I just hate it I just love the description of joylessly but relentlessly for some reason it just cracks me up I don't know what it is about that but I just love the idea of him sitting there just really grumpy but studying anyway and coming top of the class because yeah Yeah. it just cracks me up and while we're on the topic of Aronin Mm. I also just want to see that mark a point of connection that I saw was like him and Chainsaw right so Chainsaw is a real connection for Ronan I think he's 
chainsaws are tether yeah. to kind of being a human being. And I just love how soft he is for her, that yeah. he brings this bird to school. <laughs> and he's like, well, I have to feed her every two hours. Like, like, it's the most natural thing in the world. I just love that we see that juxtaposition in Ronan's character because it shows us that he's actually not as evil as everyone thinks he is. It also reminds me of that saying that, like, sometimes you can't get up and get yourself out of bed, like, if you have depression or if you're really in a rough space. Like, if you can't do it for yourself, like, if you have a pet, you can often do it for your pet. Mm. Or if you've got a partner who needs you, you can do it for your partner. Or, like, I know that there were times when I was really struggling when my kids were really little and I would think, I can't just lay around all day I actually have to like parent and that would get me up and get me out of the house and doing stuff Mm. when you have dependents even if they're dream birds sometimes it can really help you just like be present in your own life in a way that you wouldn't if you didn't have that tether I actually have a question for you just on this Ronan topic because on page 114 Gansey says because he despised everyone Ronan wasn't a good judge of character I want to discuss this because I don't necessarily think that that's true what do you think I think that it is true to a point though i think if you practice something you get good at it and ronan has practiced not liking people so he's good at not liking people so there's truth there too but the same could be said for gansey about being optimistic Mm. and the same can be said for adam who looks at wealth before he looks at anything else like there are plenty of amazing people that he could probably be getting Mm. to know because i know that all rich white boys are not the same because all people are different so even small subsets of them are different But, like, if you decide that they're one thing, they're going to act like that because your confirmation bias will then reward your decisions, you know? It'll tell you that you're right. You'll ignore when you're wrong because you want to be right. So I think that that's true. But I also think it's true for everybody. Yeah, I just don't think that because he despised everyone, he wasn't a good judge of character. Probably because I'm being too kind on myself because my first instinct is also to despise everyone. I start very much from a I dislike you point of view to (laughs) anyone I meet ever. And then I'll decide whether I'll change my mind or not. And I feel like Ronan is kind of the same. Just because you don't like someone doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad judge of character. So the opposite for me. I'm like, I will like them. And then when they really insult me, I'm like, well, I guess I'm just not going to talk to them as much. Oh, see you again, Z. That's so cute. Oh, so much of reading this was hard for me because I felt both Adam and Gansey's sections so much. Mm. Like when Gansey was trying to fix it and Adam wouldn't let him, it was just like watching the two halves of myself back and forth. Something that's stood out to me about Gansey was when he talks about his dad and, you know, how he let his son know that if he couldn't hack it in a private school, Gansey was cut out of the will. These rich people need to chill out. Yeah, this is the thing, I think. Gansey's parents are loving, but they trust him to do the thing. Like, they're like, oh, you know, you're a reasonable young man. We've got other things to do. It's fine. They have control over so many other things that controlling their kids doesn't really appeal to them, which you Mm. see with Helen, who has no careers, but also all careers. And Gansey, who's been able to do whatever he wanted in search for Glendower, because his dad is like, oh, well, you know, that's something he's interested in. Then off you go. Like, he's a reasonably mature and stable person so they sent him off I was the kind of kid who wanted that sort of freedom should not have had it and should not have had like I needed more support but Gansey is able to create that for himself but his dad's a big fat racist and his dad is also a big classist so we do have to keep that in mind that his dad is going to subscribe to that like oh you have to be a certain level of successful and like you need to do well at this school and then you need to go to university and do well there like these are requirements but because Gansey knows who he is pretty much it's not onerous he knows that he's got a lot more control over his life than most people his age so it doesn't weigh on Mm. him the way that adam's parents control over adam weighs on either him or gansy does that make sense Mm. yeah 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 and on that point of classism Mm -hmm. i guess 
you know, a, a point where I saw connection was between Helen and Welk has that memory of Cerny calling him white trash. Yeah. So on page 100, he says, does this make you white trash now? He asked. Mm. Cerny didn't really have a sense of humor. He just sometimes said things that happened to be funny. And then we've got Helen when she's on the phone to Gansey on page 128. And Gansey says he's going to see a friend. And she says, the mean one or the white trash one? Sorry, I meant Captain Frigid or Trailer Park Boy. So you've got this kind of connection between these two rich characters and how they view the world, right? Yeah. The other thing I thought was interesting about that was that Gansey and Helen understand each other better than Gansey understands his friends for the most part. But it doesn't mm. mean he likes her any better or appreciates what she says. So in a way, Helen kind of is a reminder of like who he could be. And his parents are definitely a reminder of who he could be. Because he talks about every time he goes back home, he's like, how many red ties do I own? And I'm not accomplishing very much. And I'm slowly turning into who they want me to be. And like, it's not mm. actually what he wants for himself. But he's playing the game because that's what you do. And also, I do think he loves his parents. I think it just doesn't bother him to like toe the line because he doesn't cost him anything to toe the line. And Gansey is such a player of the game of life, though. Like, because I saw that as well. You know, he tries to connect with people and then uses that privilege to his advantage. Mm -hmm. You see that thing when he talks about how he has a lack of connection with well. Couldn't get an angle. Yeah, on page 114, he says, you know, knowing full well the, the effect an enthusiastic academic conversation could have on an otherwise listless group. Right. Yep. You little sneaky little so-and-so. Hufflepuff with shades of Slytherin. <laughs> yeah. Later in the novel, he'll use his privilege and his like connections to try and get better outcomes for his friends. Yeah. And yeah, he just plays the game. He pulls the strings. But he doesn't like himself when he does that. Well, it's a very Declan move, isn't it? It is. And I think it's interesting because I wish I knew how to do that. Like, I wish I could be strategic in that way, but I am not. So I love that Gansey has that capability. Can we just talk about Dad Gansey? Because he is constantly worried <laughs> about everyone. Like maybe he could get Ronan Aww. to like how what would he do if Ronan's bird gets caught? And like he's like worried about this. And you know maybe if he stopped doing you know rowing, he could be there on Fridays, which is when Ronan gets Ronan gets into trouble. Like he's such a dad. Isn't he such a dad? He is. But also, what is he doing on the rowing team in the first place? Like, not three paragraphs before he was complaining about how, you know, before Aglenby, the search for Glendower always came first. And yet you have an extracurricular. You're on the rowing team on Fridays. Like, mm. what? You gotta do something. He could be babysitting Ronan. <laughs> I think he needs to be, yeah. Well, that's good foreshadowing for what comes later as well, actually. Yeah. And our first glimpse of Kavinsky, which is always fun. And then Ronan. Some people need to take, don't take losing very well, like you do. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we probably need to touch on the conversation that Adam and Gansey have. Yeah. I think Adam's motives are a mystery to Gansey. Oh, totally. I agree. Yep. He doesn't get it at They're all. They're a mystery to me, too. Like, I think Adam has set himself in... Like, he has cemented for himself this idea that he has to do to himself or it doesn't count. Which is anti-community, for one. Like, I'm sorry, but no man is an island. I don't care what you think you bootstrapped. Like, nobody can actually do it themselves. Everybody has had help. Like, we are not born fully formed and capable in this world. People have looked after us since we came into the world. So the idea that you are a self-made person is just bollocks. I'm just going to say that. So Adam needs to calm down and, like, remember that everything is interconnected and we are a community and we can't actually, like, not have help. Yeah, but I don't think Adam's ever seen that in action before. He's never seen what community looks like. He's never felt like part of a unit or part of anything until probably Gansey, right? Yeah. And so Gansey's Gansey's motivation is just as much as a mystery to Adam because he can't ever he can't see a world where anyone would do anything without an ulterior motive, where anyone would ever just be altruistic, right? He doesn't know what that looks like. Yeah. He feels like Gansey wants to collect him, like Slughorn collects people, but that's not who Gansey is. He just wants to take care of the people 
people he loves. But Adam doesn't know what it's like to be loved. He's never been loved. And you like when he pats that dog and the dog is like so insanely happy. I was just like, everyone here is just so starved for love and affection, yeah. right? Like there's just a real lack. Everything is a lack. And then there's this, this description of where Adam lives where, um, you know, Gansey said everything is dust. Everywhere was dust. Mm. And it just reminded of me of um, Mantua and yeah. like Romeo and Juliet. So, you know, he's an exile out there in the dust bowl. and Yeah, and the colorless, non-pretty part of Henrietta. Mm. I thought that was interesting that Gansey doesn't connect the idea that you have to pay for beauty until he's like thinking about it while waiting for Adam. And because he can't unravel the mystery of why they're different because they had such different upbringings. And I think Adam isn't really willing to like sit there and talk him through it. Like Adam is tired of it. He feels like he's already said enough and Gansey should just get it, which makes Gansey feel like he's wrong footed all the time, which is just so Mm -hmm. like, that's really hard. It's a hard place to be when you like really care about someone and they're keeping you at arm's length. And like Adam has completely legitimate and understandable reasons for that, but it's still really sad because... Gansey just wants to be connected and he keeps thinking like it's all they see they all they see is my money all anyone sees is my money even Adam and that hurts him so much because he craves Adam's love and approval and Adam just won't give it because Adam's like no you already have everything you don't get this too yeah on page 133 when you know Gansey said some days all that grounded him was the knowledge that his and Adam's friendship existed in a place that money couldn't influence which of course it doesn't and that just breaks his heart Mm. but then also when Adam says I don't judge you for what you do, Gansey, which is such a lie. A lie. I wrote Adam is always judging. He's the most judgmental That's all he one. does. He's worse than Ronan, and Ronan is very judgmental. Well, because Ronan is black and white, right? Like you either are or you aren't following the moral code that he has set out. Adam can see the nuance, but only for himself, though, as we've discussed. Like everyone else needs to be black and white, and there's no room for Gansey to be a multifaceted contradiction or anything like that, you know. But in himself, Adam will allow any and all kind of flaws. Yeah. It's fascinating. How dare Gansey be good at code switching and you know then on page 135 Gansey has the when Adam comes out to see him he says that was the part where Adam was going to tell him not to take what he said personally but it felt personal and like Adam takes a swing at Gansey pretty much every time they meet right he's always picking Mm. at him he's always swinging at him and I wonder if that's just Adam's way of trying to exert control because he feels so out of control in this relationship he always feels like Gansey has the upper hand so him just like coming out and doing these little things gives him a sense of power yeah my little Slytherin buddy (laughs) when you can't be in charge of your own life hurting other people feels like a way to get control over the people who hurt you even if it's not the same although yeah like it sucks but that's where he's at I I see a lot of shades of how he could become like his father though like it's there the inability to be flexible and the single-minded determination like I don't think he gets that from his mom. Like, that's definitely from his dad. So I do worry about Adam because he needs to see a therapist. Too sweet. Gansey does get a bit victim-blamey in that exchange, though, which I wasn't entirely on board with. They're both, like, what, 16-year-old boys? So they're not going to be good at communicating. Yeah. I'm trying to be generous. But also, I know that Adam is intelligent and I know that he has thought about this. And he has calculated the best way to hurt Gansey. And he deploys it. And it's just like when he finally does try to be honest, I think it's better. But because it's prefaced by all of this bitter, I don't know, mudslinging, it hurts more. Like if he had just sat Gansey down and been like, look, for me personally, I need to do this myself. I know that you love me. And I know that the way you love me is by like trying to help me out financially. But the best thing you can do, honestly, is just let me get on with it. That would be so much easier for Gansey to understand. Gansey wants so much to help, but doesn't actually know what roadmap he needs to help. Yeah, I think Gansey maybe just needs to 
to take a back seat. He comes into this altercation, you know, he knows they're going to have a fight. It's a conversation they've had multiple times before. Like they've tread these boards before. He knows mm. exactly what's going to happen, but he still goes for it. And it's kind of like, I don't know, Adam's the one who got beat up. I think maybe you should just not go in with that right yeah. now. Like, yeah, I don't think he's being like, I know he's it's coming from a good place, but I don't think he's being a good friend. Yeah, he's doing that thing where he steamrolls over what Adam wants because he loves him and he's so horrified by what's happening and he wants to fix it. He's also convinced he's right, though. That's the thing. Like, he thinks he knows He's not best. wrong. I mean, from my perspective, Adam needs to leave his family's house. And if gansy has got piles of money, then like, yeah, dude, take him up on it. What's the worst that could happen? You know, like you live at Monmouth Manufacturing with your friends for the next year and a half. You keep going to your jobs like you have free rent somewhere else. Why is this a problem? The interesting thing to me is when Adam says, what happens when Glendower takes you away? I'm like, why would that affect anything? Gansey owns Monmouth. Yeah, you can exactly. just stay. Seriously. Stay there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I see where Adam's coming from as well. Like, that would get my back up as well. If I've already had a conversation with someone multiple times and told them what I want, if yeah. they keep pressing me, I'm going to do the exact same thing that Adam does in this situation. And I'm going to be like toxic as hell about it as well. Like, I just know that. So I, I kind of get where he's coming yeah. from. Yeah, I hear you. But it's terrible. It's terrible. And he shouldn't be in that situation. And Robert Parridge can get in the bin. Co-signed. Somebody needs to call Child Protection Services on this family. I don't understand why there isn't, like, why doesn't Kenzie just tell a teacher? I'm sorry, but, like, if he's so well-liked and well-known, why can't he just confide in the school counselor and say, like, look, you know, this kid is really struggling. What can I do? Like, set things in motion that are beyond his ability to do anything with. Like, I know he's 16 and very competent, but, like, you don't actually, teens out there, Guys, you don't have to do all the work, okay? There are grown-ups out there whose entire job and passion is to help you figure your life out, okay? So if you're stressed or struggling, find a grown-up who can help you. That's their job. Lots yeah. of people want to do yeah. that for you. This um, would have solved a lot of problems in Harry Potter as well. If people would just talk to an adult just We would have had once. two books if it had been about McGonagall and Harry's relationship because she would have gotten to the heart of it and killed Voldemort herself and it would have been fine. I wonder if Gansey's just worried. Like, he knows that if he spoke to an adult, Adam would never speak to him again. That's it. That's the friendship would be over, right? I think so. I, th I think it would feel like an unforgivable betrayal if he did that, yeah. And yet I find it fascinating that Adam lets him pick him up from his house. Like, if I was Adam, I would not have told him where I lived. I would have given 100%. him a fake address and waited out the front of there for days on end rather than tell him where I live. He gave him an actual address to come and pick him up and the first time Gansey came to the front door to pick up Adam, which to me is just, I don't understand how that happened, what conversation led to that decision being made. And also the fact that obviously, you know, both Ronan and Gansey are aware that he gets beaten up by his father. Like that level of vulnerability that he has, I guess, probably against his will shared with them. Oh yeah, he doesn't want anybody to know about that. That's why he doesn't go to school. Like he could just go to school and deal with it, but yeah, it's not something he wants anyone to know about. I love that they're just three smart boys though. Like Gansey says how good he is at studying and Adam's top of the class and even Ronan when he tries can be good at school. I just love that they're all just smart boys. I'm here for it. I know. It's on your list. Jobs well done and smart boys. It's the dream. I will give you that. I wanted to just draw attention to a little bit of connection that I saw if that's alright. Oh yes. So I love the parallel that we get between Ronan and Kala based on how they look at people. I saw that as a mm -hmm. connection. So on page 115 Gansey says about Ronan, he was good at staring. There was something about his stare that took something from the other person. And on page 121, we've got, Kella gave the man a lacerating look that plumbed the depths of his soul and found <laughs> it wanting. I love that. I love that we get that between the two of them. And the other parallel that I saw was, um, 
I see a connection then between the way that Blue describes Persephone's handling of her tarot cards and the way that Ronan will later describe Adam's mm. hands. I just love this idea, like on page 122. Blue loved watching Persephone lay down her cards. The limpid turn of her wrists and the speck of the card always made it seem like sleight of hand. Ronan will describe Adam's hands and how like graceful they are and all these things. And I just love love that parallel between Persephone and Adam <laughs> through their hands as well. That is nice. So yeah, a little bit of connection. Yeah, I always thought of Adam and Mora as more similar. But mm. I guess Persephone is very inscrutable. And she does later mentor Adam, so that tracks... The one thing I want to call attention to is that Gansey longs for connection so badly that he's even maybe a little jealous of the like hooligan kids yelling at his car as it drives past when he goes to Adam's house. Mm. And he's sort of thinking like they're products of their surroundings. They belong to each other and they belong with each other. He's not sure if he feels pity or envy because everything is dust, but he feels something for them. He sees their togetherness and he clocks it. And I think he just doesn't feel connected to people the way that he wants to. Like he is divided from other people. Like that mystery of other humans is really strong for him and he just can't get over it. He can't bridge that gap and that hurts him a lot. Like he really wants to be in someone's pockets, know them, be their best, best friend. And I don't think he feels like that with Ronan or with, with Adam, even though he loves them. I wonder if it's because he grew up so quickly, right? He's always been an adult. Yeah. And that he, he doesn't find that connection or maybe you know, the fact that he almost died and he started on this quest, it just othered him. Like it always put him on a different yeah. track to everyone else. And so he can't find that commonality that you might share with other people. He's kind of got that in common with Blue, like the way she describes yeah. her classmates, right? And how she's different at school. But she has connection with her family in a way that Gansey doesn't. Yeah, exactly. I tracked that too. And I thought it was really great how she said she wondered how there were if there were other odd people in the world, but she didn't think they were in Henrietta. And I'm like, they're right there. You're going to beat them. One of them wrote this whole journal you can't stop looking through. Like, it's going to happen for you, baby. I'm just really excited mm -hmm. for when they actually meet and become friends. Did you have any other tangential marginalia? Yes, let me just see. I've mentioned a bunch of them already. But I think what I wanted to talk about was on page 114. When Gansey and Ronan had come in, Welk had stopped m writing mid-word. And he'd started writing a Latin word on the board, which is internet mm. is what he wrote. I think it's internecinus. Um, anyway, and that I looked it up. It means kind of deadly murder to slaughter, murderous from the verb nicare to kill, obviously with the prefix inter, which can mean between. And I just thought it was interesting that Welk was writing between that murders. on the board when he's basically, I'm going to kill you all, <laughs> yeah. is what he's saying when just he's writing a on the board. Bit between murders, just, yeah. And also on page 135, when Gansey says, Gansey could see his irises moving underneath the thin skin of his eyelids, a dreamer awake, because he's talking about Adam. And I think that's a little bit of foreshadowing there as well, which is lovely. How about you? What tangential marginalia did you have? Well, I've already talked about a few. Um, I especially loved Blue not feeling guilty that there was a strange man wandering around their house <laughs> and there was laundry that he could see. And her mother was like, oh my gosh, my bra is right there. And Blue was like, I don't feel guilty. This kid's amazing, eh? Because I would have been mortified by that. Um, but the other <laughs> thing I really loved and noted, but I didn't really have a place to put it, was after the reading, Blue really wants to know what happens, but she doesn't want to talk first. She doesn't want to ask the questions. And that links back mm. to another thing where Blue has always stood a little apart, which was like, before the reading she stood a little apart from them 
So she isn't actually part of their group. So she's in the house. She's part of the household. Her mother loves her, but she isn't psychic. So she's outside of it, even though she's still part of it. Mm. And I think that that means that she thinks more and she hesitates more and she doesn't really feel that connection. Similar to how Gansey, he's of his, you know, environment, of his family, but he doesn't really feel that connection. Like he doesn't have the same experiences and ambitions, even though he grew up with them. So I just thought that that was really interesting, like a line there. We get to see more of how Blue and Gansey are alike and how they will suit each other eventually once they've grown past the thorniness of their initial meeting it's nice to track that too yeah that's a good observation did you have an in-depth marginalia i did so mine is from page 133 and it is quite long so bear with me now adam looked at gansey there was something fierce and chilling in his eyes an unnameable something that gansey was always afraid would eventually take over completely this he knew was compromise a risky gift that he could choose to reject so this is right after they've ha- had the mm. argument where Gansey's encouraged Adam to leave his home and Adam refused because he wants to do it on his own terms. Then as Gansey goes to leave, he sits in the car and Adam comes running out, gets in, and they decide to go to the psychic because Adam's like, that was the plan, right? We're doing the plan, even though it's going to you know, cost him something yeah. to leave. I think it relates to our theme because as we've already spoken about, Adam is actually just a mystery to Gansey. His motivations is a mystery. He doesn't understand why Adam behaves the way he does. He doesn't understand why he can't seem to do or say the right thing to fix it, even though he keeps trying. Like, he just cannot get there. And in the same way, Gansey is a mystery to Adam. Like, he can't see him for who he is either. I recently read the Shades of Magic trilogy by the E. Schwab. And there's an arc in that about two characters as well who feel beholden to others. And there's just something about that, how that eats away at your sense of self and your sense of self-worth and your agency in your own life, how you feel like you're not in control, how you can't do anything because you owe something Mm -hmm. to someone else. And I think Adam is so afraid of not being in control of his own destiny because he feels so out of control right now. So he has this plan to pull himself out of it and he won't deviate from this plan because as we've seen through his work and study ethic, like once he puts his mind to something, he just gets it done and he can't he can't get off that track because then he feels like he's not going to get it yeah. done. Right. In a way, it also reminds me of the humdrum and carry on because you've got that mirror of Simon Snow that's basically just a hungry, empty <laughs> void. Yeah. And I think that's what Gansey sees in Adam. Yeah. Like at this moment, he sees the depth of his hunger and like the depth of his want because he has a little yeah. slither in. So he's just like, yeah, he's on this and path. he wants to feed him. Because he's a Hufflepuff. He He just wants to take care of his people. But you can't feed the humdrum, Gansey. You can't feed it. It just makes it worse. Adam needs to be in a better place, hey? Yeah. And I think going forward, there's two things I want to remember. Like, how other people behave actually has nothing to do with me. Everyone comes to decisions with Mm. their own baggage and their own rationale. And maybe we can never really understand that. Because we can never really understand things from someone else's perspectives. We can try. You know, we can try to be empathetic. But we are actually unreliable narrators. We see it our own way, no matter what we do. I want to be able to accept help as well, though, at face value. And accept that it doesn't have to mean anything beyond the kind of generous spirit in which it's given. Which is something that Adam can't do. But I also want to be able to listen to people when they're actually telling me what they need. I want to meet them on their own terms. Like, Gansey wants to save Adam from his situation, and he can't understand why Adam won't let him, but he's not listening. Mm. So it's a bit like Richard from Neverwhere. You know, he has a good heart, but in this case, it's not enough. So yeah, I guess, you know, I want to tell people how they can help me when I'm struggling rather than being angry and resentful. But I also need to ask people how they want to be helped and meet them on their own terms because both things are things I need to get better at. 
Well, you're an amazing human. Aw, so kind. It's always good, I think, to like sort of take stock and go, right, this is where I want to be better and this is where I know I could be better. I do that a lot. I think about it a lot. Yeah, I think I'm just ungenerous in the way that Adam is as well. Like just, and Ronan. Ronan's similarly ungenerous. Assume the worst in people and assume that they have got their own ulterior motives. But isn't there something protective about that too? That protects you. That protects your soft parts. If you're always assuming that people are going to hurt you, then you don't get the opportunity to get hurt. That makes sense to me. Yeah. It's not great, but it makes sense. Yeah, because <laughs> why do you assume everyone's going to hurt you though? Like not everyone is out to hurt you. I think that's probably the thing. Like you have people who you can trust and those are the people you should trust. Like Adam should mm. trust Gansey. He's he's proven himself to be a trustworthy friend, but Adam still can't let his guard yeah. down. So I guess that's what it is. It's not running around trusting everyone <laughs> yeah. and anyone. Like Adam accuses Gansey of being too trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's so funny you chose this one because I chose from the same section where Gansey's like sitting in the car and... Adam has just said, let's go do the thing. Like, it'll, I have to be back at this mm. time. Like, let's go do the thing. So my quote is, Gansey didn't understand, but he nodded. Gansey's really hurt by the things that Adam has said to him. He's hurt because he's offered help, which I think is reasonable. And his friend has lashed out at him, which is a reasonable response, but like... Unkind. Yeah, but Adam actually needs this help. And Gansey feels helpless mm -hmm. and unable to do what he's best at, which is looking after the people that he loves. So it's really stressful for him. And I really feel this because I am like the let me take you to the hospital person or let me cook you dinner or let me clean your house when you have a broken leg like that is I love being the person who swoops in and fixes things and then disappears into casual acquaintanceship again like that is my jam love that <laughs> I really do love my friends and love looking after them I think that Adam's motives I agree that they're a mystery to Gansey but I think it's because he's Gansey has never felt subjected to his circumstances in the way that Adam has he's been able to kind of run his own life and, and Adam really hasn't so Adam hasn't had this experience but Gansey knows that it's not like foolproof or fail safe he knows that like you can be independent and live apart from your parents and still need that support but we don't really find that out until later mm. when Blue sort of discovers that you know actually Gansey's got a lot of mental health issues that he doesn't disclose because he's so busy trying to take care of other people and Gansey knows that support is important and essential and he doesn't understand why Adam won't take it and and he doesn't understand also why Adam only sees the haves and have nots and, and can only compare mm. that way. So I find this really interesting in terms of connection. Gansey really wants to be connected to other people. And this shows that he's willing to like say, even though he wants to know, he's willing to say, I don't know. I don't understand, but I will accept you and I will keep going because I would rather have you in my life imperfectly than have you on my terms in my life. Right. He tries to understand. Mm. He tries to make peace. He's brave. He tries to let go of things and he does it to keep those connections. And I think that's really important. Like, even though the people he loves can be unfathomably awful and they're complete mysteries, he nurtures that connection so for myself mm. going forward I'm just gonna remember that I don't need to know everything in order to accept it other people's choices can be their own I don't need to know why they made them as much as I would like to um love means accepting the unknowable that is so lovely and I think it's the hardest thing about loving people is just sometimes they're gonna do things that make absolutely no sense and you're just gonna have to go okay yep. I will love and support you and then <laughs> don't say I told you so later which is what I really struggle with I think it, but I never say it. I'll tell Simon, I'll be like, guess what just happened? Didn't I say that would happen? I was right. I used to be so bad at that in high school when things would go wrong for someone. I'd be like, I told you so. Did I not tell you so? But now I've realized that that's not helpful and you should keep that to yeah, yourself. Yeah, offer sympathy and tea. And actually, <laughs> don't 
don't even say it in the first place. Just be as supportive yep. as you can. And then, yeah, have, have a Simon. You can talk to about it. Or tell me, Jen. I'm here yeah. for you. You can tell me I told you so. I love hearing about your work foibles, especially when people at work are idiots. I'm like, tell me more. Explain to me their oh, idiocy. I will be your venting person. Someone at work this week was like, you know your problem is you're just too smart. Have you tried being less smart and then people won't be so annoying? I was in fine form on Friday. Good Lord. Don't dumb yourself down for anybody. It's not worth it. They're not worth it. Yeah. Oh, poor Gansey. It's hard. It's hard. And poor Adam. I just, I feel, for, I really felt for them in this section. It was just hard. Yeah, it's a rough chapter. So who's your spotlight for this week? It's actually Adam. That's good. He needs a little love. He just really hurt my heart this week. You know, Gansey makes the point that he's too proud. And he is too proud. Like he has, you know, we've as we discussed last week, you know, it's a vice for him as pride. You know, but I think there's that vulnerability that he told Gansey where he lives and he gets yeah. picked up and, you know, he lets Gansey see him when he's been beaten up. He exposes this vulnerability and in a way that's a gift to Gansey that maybe Gansey doesn't really read. But I just cannot imagine how much that costs him. It would cost him so much of his yeah. pride. It would just cost him so much. It's just a lot for him to be in this situation where his father beats him up and his mother is not really present and he's trying to get through life and he works three jobs and he's top of his classes. Like the amount of work that that entails for the school that doesn't tolerate anything lower than a B. So, you know, everyone's academics is mm. really strong. And he's just trying to dig himself out of this hole and he can't see any other way out of it. And I just, gosh, it's a lot. It's a lot for anyone, but especially a 16-year-old. Yeah, he needs a break. I wanted to give him a hug. Yeah, big hug for Adam, because I don't think he's gotten any hugs, to be fair. I was split between who to spotlight this week, but I think I already defended Gansey well enough to... To say that I'm going to spotlight Mora because as a parent, when someone walks into your life that you know, even just a little bit, is bad news for your kid, you don't have to be polite. You can just tell them to get the heck out. And she did. And I love that. She was immediate about it. She was clear about it. She just said, nope, you have to go. Go, go, go. And she got rid of this person who was threatening to her daughter. And look, the way that she saw it was very mysterious. But she also recognized the threat and put immediate steps into like getting rid of this person so that her daughter would be safe. And I really felt that like this is somebody who is extremely protective of her family, but not in a like you can't go anywhere or do anything way, but in like a okay, this mm. is a truck and we're telling you not to step in front of it, which I think is a line later in later in the book where she says we're telling you not to step in front of this bus, you know. But I love that mm. immediate moment of like nope, you have to go because sometimes I find myself paralyzed by politeness where I will Instead of just being like, oh, this person's really horrible and they need to go, I'll be like, okay, thank you. Have a nice day. Like, I should just tell them to get off of my doorstep or whatever, but no. Mm. For myself, I'm going to remember that I can protect myself by being rude if I need to. And that, that, that it's okay if it's protection for myself or my family. That's okay. Rude's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Shut that door in his face. And I love that Kala takes his number plate. She's so mean and I love her. Um, That was a great spotlight thank Aww, you thanks. shout out to all the mums i always like to appreciate mums it's a hard thankless job yeah it is we love our kids does anybody else have a job that regularly wakes them up for cuddles at 3 a.m because they had a nightmare and then elbows you in the face 17 more times before dawn <laughs> no probably not <laughs> it's a lot i should ask my mum if she still worries about me when she goes to bed i think she probably has reconciled herself to the fact that you're an adult now i don't know <laughs> I'm not sure my parents have accepted that. <laughs> well, when you're home, it's different. But now that you're not living there, they're probably used to it. Yeah. We'll see. I'll let you know. I'll give you progress reports as my children grow. <laughs> Thanks. 
Well, um, what a good yeah, chat. That was great. Next week, we're going to be, where are we up to? Reading chapters 15 through 19 through the theme of judgment. It's going to be great. Yeah, that's going to be, love it. I'm here for a bit of judgment. I'm going to try and not be generous. It's not going to work, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Attempting all the judginess. And I'm really excited because they're going to meet. They're going to meet for real. I know. Finally, finally. Very much looking forward to it. Thank you so much for potting with me. It was really amazing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for always bringing such good insight and generous readings to things oh, when I am just a mean jerk. Yeah, but you're smart. You get so much. Even when you're meaner than me, I love it because you get so many more things that I do. Because I'm like, oh, everybody just loves each other. They don't know how to express it. And you're like, actually, they're idiots. And this is why. So <laughs> good. It's so valuable. Um, this is why we're a good team, because someone will die. A fun. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Can't wait to chat again next week. All right, I'll see you then. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.